Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freakin' Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. The idea of a crust parallel trail came to me one day while herding my uncle's cattle in an immense unfenced alfalfa field near Fresno. It was 1884 and I was 14. Theodore Solomons. Of course, young Mr. Solomons was talking about what would later become the John Muir Trail. Construction of the JMT would begin 31 years later in 1915, and the inspiration of a young Theodore Solomons would eventually be completed in 1938. Solomons also had a trail named after him when a 271-mile trail was created as an alternative to the JMT in 1974. It was on this lesser-known, less-traveled trail that Jeff Hester found himself making slow progress, alternating between losing sight of the practically unmaintained trail and having to climb over hundreds of fallen trees in his path. It was so agonizingly slow that at times Jeff actually wondered if he was ever going to make it out safely. What had he gotten himself into? I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Mirpod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, 
Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Well, here we are with a, another episode of the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Thank you for tuning in, and I think you are really going to enjoy our guest this week. Joining me for episode 28 is none other than the creator of SoCalHiker.net and the Six Pack of Peaks Challenge, Jeff Hester. Welcome to the pod, Jeff. Hey, thank you so much, Doc. All right. Before we get to uh, SoCalHiker.net and the six packs, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Like uh, maybe upbringing, how you got into backpacking, your favorite hiking trails, anything you want to share? Yeah, sure. Um, I have always loved the outdoors. When I was growing up, I I was actually born in Southern California, but uh, when I was five, we moved to the Midwest. And uh, I got involved in scouts back there, and we did some hiking and camping and a little bit of, you know, quote-unquote backpacking in Indiana and Ohio. Um, But when I was 16 years old, our family moved back to Southern California, and I I had my first taste of, like, real mountains. And so there was a group of people who uh, went to the church that we went to, and we... um, uh, they would take the teenagers out on these backpacking trips in the Sierra Nevada. And it was, I just fell in love with the mountains. It was awesome. You know, they were actual real mountains with, you know, snow and, and, you know, big trees and, you know, lots of climbing. And it was just a blast. And um, so when I was, uh, when I graduated high school, actually, I went with a group of people that in, it was kind of a ragtag bunch. Um, there was another gal from, uh, the same grade level that I was in. So we had both just graduated high school. Her younger brother, who was 12 or 13, her mother, and then another guy who was like in his 50s who worked at uh, UCI. And we through hiked the John Muir Trail when I was 18. And we wow. did it over 25 days. Uh-huh. And it, I was in heaven. You know, I just, I loved it. And, um, and so that's kind of how I got really into hiking and backpacking. And I've, um, I had a number of years when I was raising my children when, you know, their activities, you know, Little League and cheerleading and all of those things uh, took precedence over a lot of the hiking and backpacking. Although we would typically do one big backpacking trip every year. Nice. Um, they're all grown and out of the house now. So I have, uh, you know, the opportunity to do more of that. And that's what I love. Fantastic. Hey, that first trip on the John Muir Trail, 25 days when you're 18 years old, mm. uh, 
how did you go about planning that? Uh, how did you find your information back then? Did you do, did you do resupply? Obviously, uh, you know, twenty five days yeah, you can't yeah. carry so twenty five days worth it was, of food. It was very different. So that was in nineteen eighty, just okay. to, as a point of reference. So mm-hmm. long, long time ago, and um, you know, the references that we had, we had a Thomas Winnett guidebook to the John Muir Trail. I still have a copy of it on my bookcase. And we, you know, we had an itinerary that we planned out that had, you know, the, we put the mileage and, you know, the, where we were in a camp each night and um, it was typed, typewritten, you know, nice. very, very professional. And um, uh, we did have three resupplies, um, but they were, there wasn't anything mailed because that wasn't really set up for that at that time. So you couldn't like, there was not a VVR or Muir Trail Ranch. They didn't exist. And so we had people, you know, friends of ours meet us at different places. So the first one was at Red's Meadow and we had a family who was taking a vacation that we were were friends with, met us there and, you know, gave us our resupply. The next one was kind of near where Muir Trail Ranch is, but, you know, the the hot springs there. So we Mm -hmm. had people who hiked in and there was a bunch of them. So we had um, you know, a bunch of different friends who hiked in stuff. They brought in steaks and all kinds of things. So we had a zero day there Yeah, and that was really nice. And then the last resupply was near, um, they, we had two guys that I didn't really know very well, but they came in over Kearsarge pass and we're just meeting, you know, like at a junction in a trail, like, well, it's, we're supposed to meet at three o'clock, you know, at this trail junction. And I hope they show, (laughs) And, you know, there's no cell phones, there's no satellite navigation, there's none of that. And so we were waiting, I remember, for a, a couple hours, you know, and they were, they were late, and we were getting a little nervous, and finally they showed up, and they had not only our resupply, but they had, they packed in, like, a Snickers bar for each of us, or something, you know, just extra special. So nice. it, it, uh, it was all good. It was all good. So in those days before cell phones and having to have people hike in and, and bring you stuff as a real incentive, I imagine, to hit your mileage each day and make sure that you were at the previously agreed upon point at the, the correct date and time to get that, that uh, resupply yeah. of food. Yeah. I mean, even when you get out, you know, you don't have a cell phone. So if, if there's not a pay phone or something like that, we, we did, um, we hiked up Mount Whitney at night. So we had camped down, um, near Crabtree Meadows and we uh, left at midnight or somewhere around there and hiked up by a full moon to the summit of Whitney, but then came back down the east side. So instead of hiking out Whitney Portal, we came out at, I think, Cottonwood Lakes area. Okay. And, um, and we got out, we actually came out, we, you know, we had had a certain number of days and I think the last day we were like, we all were kind of feeling it, you know, like, let's, let's go, you know, let's just keep do a few, do five more miles and hike out. And so mm-hmm. we came out a day early and then hitchhiked in the back of a pickup truck again, you know, a sign of the times right uh, down to, um, gosh, I guess it was Lone Pine. Yeah. Lone Pine. And um, we were, we were supposed to meet at a campground down there. And so we, picked a campsite and set up our tents and whatnot. And then our friends all came up the next day and met us there. And we had, we hitchhiked into town and we got cantaloupe and ice cream and milk and all these things. I wasn't old enough to drink yet, but you know, we, we still were able to eat really well and, and enjoy that. So that was a lot of fun. 
Nice. And so that, that uh, trip at age 18, it just burned the trail on, on your, uh, on your uh, cerebral cortex, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, that's one of my, and in fact, the area, especially around like Thousand Island Lake and that area, that was one of the places where I would take my sons backpacking, you know, each year, you know, we'd go back up in that area outside of Mammoth and, and, uh, or somewhere in that vicinity. And we had a lot of fun up there. That was really nice. And then, um, so it had been, I had always wanted to do it again, you know, to hike it again. And I had been, um, gotten into mountain biking and I was mountain biking down in South Orange County, probably about three times a week. So I, there was a group of friends that I knew from work who mountain biked and they had other friends who mountain biked. And we'd do like Aliso Woods Canyon. We'd, we'd mountain bike around there. There's some great trails or Whiting Ranch. And then on the weekends, we'd do longer, you know, a little bit gnarlier trails, you know, mm-hmm. off of Ortega Highway somewhere or something like that. And uh, I was really getting into it and having a good, a good time. And um, I had an accident where I went over the handlebars and I fractured my wrist in two places. Ouch. And I still had eight miles to ride oh, with no. a fractured wrist. Oh, no. So I got down and, and then I had to drive my stick shift car with my right, you know, <laughs> my wrist broken. Or actually, it's my left wrist. So that wasn't as bad. But, you know, still, it was, it's kind of tricky. Mm-hmm. I had to drive that home and let my dog out, take a shower, drive myself to the urgent care where they x-rayed it and said, yep, you got two fractures on your wrist and that sort of thing. <clears throat> Long story short, I uh, went to the orthopedic doctor and, and they put, put a cast on it and they said, basically, you're not going to be able to ride for at least three months. You know, you got to do something else. And so uh, I said, well... This was in uh, 2000, the summer of 2009, early summer, right? June. Okay. And um, I thought, well, let's see. It'll be, uh, 2010 will be 30 years since the first time I'd hiked the John Muir Trail. What a great way to sort of celebrate that milestone by re-hiking, you know, that trail back in 2010. Uh-huh. And so I kind of, you know, switched sports. I, since I couldn't mountain bike, I, I focused on hiking and I decided, well, I'm going to, I'm going to through hike the John Muir trail again next summer, 30 years later. And, and was that the uh, first time you, you had done another through hike? The rest of your experience? It was, yeah. I had done other, I had had thought about doing it at 20 years uh-huh. and my, you know, it's just tough to take that amount of time off of sure. work. Right. And, um, and it was tough right then. So it just didn't, didn't, for what, a number of reasons, it didn't quite happen. Right. Okay. But it was my, yeah, it was the, I hadn't done a through hike since I'd done, you know, five days probably to be the max, mm-hmm. um, in between then. And, uh, so, uh, 2009, 2000, early 2010, I was, you know, hiking a lot and training, um, and I started a website, SoCalHiker.net. And kind of the purpose was, you know, at, at that point in time, there wasn't a lot of online resources for the John Muir Trail. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I got to do the work and I have a little bit of skill to like build a website. So why don't I share my research 
with other people so that they can benefit from that. And so as I did some, you know, found out about resupply points and, you know, what you need to know and how you package it up and where do you send it? And, and as I found out more about just all of the different, you know, how the permitting process and all of those little uh, things that you need to know, um, I documented that, I put it on the website. Well, along with that was the sort of the training process for that. And so mm -hmm. I was, you know, looking for, you know, oh, here's a hike that I can do for training and I can do this after work. It's a perfect one. You know, why don't I write up a little guide for it? You know, I don't see anything online that has this. I'll, I'll make it. And so that was sort of the birth of SoCal Hiker. And, you know, it was really not so much focused on day hiking, but on the John Muir Trail initially. And the day hiking sort of was a, almost uh, incidental to the, the John Muir Trail at that point. And so um, it's grown since then, and we have trail guides. We have a variety of things on SoCal Hiker that are not just uh, day hikes, but we also have multi-day backpacking trips like mm -hmm. the Ray Lakes Loop or the High Sierra Trail or the Lost Coast Trail or the Trans-Catalina Trail and so on. And... Um, and the six pack of peaks, as an example, was one of the things that kind of grew out of that because we were using that as part of our training for the John Muir Trail. You know, basically, you know, we, we would do uh, shorter hikes, you know, five, six miles after work on weeknights, Mondays and Wednesdays. And then we do these long hikes that take most of the day on Saturdays. And, you know, we'd get double digit mileage, we'd get a lot of vertical, we'd get some elevation as we right. got on higher peaks. So it all goes back to that mountain biking accident and uh, the breaking it of does. the wrist. If not for that, we wouldn't be the beneficiaries of all this great online uh, expertise about so many different trails. I'd probably have a mountain biking website instead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry about the pain you experienced, but I think it, it all worked out better for all of us in the end. It did. And it's something, the other thing too, is that um, hiking and backpacking is something that you can enjoy for years and years and years. As long as, you know, you stay active and healthy, you can do that well into your 70s and 80s even. I mean, I've seen people out there doing that stuff. So, and I hope to be one of them. <laughs> right. Yes, me too. Me too. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, I want to talk to you about a regular feature we do here on the pod, and that is the pro tip insight of the week. And so this is something where I'll, I'll turn to you at the very end of the episode and I'll ask you, okay, Jeff, what is your pro tip insight of the week? And it has to arise from just the natural free flow of conversation during the episode. Uh, some bit of, of expertise that we can reemphasize to, uh, to the listeners out there so they can benefit from, from your wisdom. Gotcha. All right. Well, okay. I'll, I'll try to come up with something, you know, very astute. Okay. Very good. <laughs> I, I have no doubt it's going to be astute because uh, getting back to SoCalHiker.net, that is a, it is a very impressive website. You have so many different resources on there and your trail guides are, are really in depth. Just to give the listeners an, an example, I, I went on and, and was looking at the Wonderland trail, uh, trail guide that you had on, on there. And you've got you know, an intro, you've got a day-by-day -day on the trail, you have an overview with distance, duration, difficulty, elevation, uh, whether or not they allow dogs, when's the best time to go, and a whole host of, of other information. I mean, it is so comprehensive. Uh, how much time does it take you to 
put that all together. I mean, you have to obviously you, you go out and do the hike. So you have the, the firsthand information and experience, and then you put together this, this incredible trail guide. Yeah. It's a lot of work, honestly. It's a lot I of can work. Tell. Um, yeah. uh, it, it takes a lot of time. Well, first of all, you have to hike the trail. So the Wonderland trail, great example. I hiked that with two friends last year and we did it over 13 days, which is kind of a, the long, slow route. But uh, we had allotted, we had kind of budgeted two weeks, roughly, to mm-hmm. travel up there to see the Washington area, uh, to get to the park, to, and then to, to do the trail itself. And we had all put in to get permits through the lottery system, and none of us got permits. Mm-hmm. permits. So we all, all three of us tried and failed. And so two I of us went up a, there. It's a high demand trail. It's a high demand trail. Yeah. And so two of us, the good news is, is that they reserve about 30% of the, the permits for walk-ins, something like that, 30 mm-hmm. to 40%. And so we went up on a Sunday, me and a, another friend, and went into the ranger station with some flexibility. You know, we had kind of an idea of where we wanted to go. And they gave us a book and said, well, here's the availability day by day. You can kind of, you know, craft your itinerary, bring it back up here, write it on this piece of paper, bring it over to here, us. And there's two other ranger stations along the trail that are also issuing permits to walk-ins. Uh-huh. And so if you're lucky and you do it quickly, you might get the ones you want. Otherwise, somebody else at one of those other stations might get it ahead of you. You know, Right. And so uh, we went ahead and, and kind of plotted out our thing and we had the time. And so we'd used it basically. So we had, you know, we started up, we had a, an itinerary that started on Monday mm-hmm. and went the, you know, the, the full uh, 13 days we had available. And uh, we got some, we did, we did have to do some long mileage on the first couple days, but after that it was pretty easy mileage, you know, pretty short mileage days. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, um, you know, you, we hiked the trail. And it's not going to be the same hike that everyone else does. And I'm not even saying that that's the recommendation that you follow those same day itineraries, Mm -hmm. but it's more like this is an itinerary. And then, uh, you know, with pictures of each of those areas, each of those segments, so that you get a sense of what that segment is like. Now, whether you combine a couple of those segments and do more miles and do it in less, you know, shorter time, like 10 days or nine days or whatever, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. But you've got the information available. You've got the maps and the elevation profile. We, we re- I record all the GPS data and uh, share all of that. And, um, and I've tried to create something that goes beyond the typical hiking guidebook. I love hiking guidebooks. I'm a huge fan of hiking guidebooks. I have shelves of hiking guidebooks. Uh-huh. Uh, some of them, you, I know your listeners can't see it, but you can see on my shelf, I've got a few back there. Uh-huh. Um, I've got, you know, several shelves in the, in the bookcase in the, in the next room. They're really, they're really great, but they don't necessarily give you the full sense of what it's like to hike that trail. And that's what I try to do is just to say, you know, is this, what was this day like? And what did it look like? Even more importantly, you know, what are you going right. to see? And uh, most guidebooks, they'll have a couple pictures you know, they kind of give you a, a sense of the peak or the, you know, the hot, the waterfall or whatever the highlight feature is. 
but you're not going to get a sense of like, oh, this trail's really rocky or it's very exposed or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've tried to do that, try to fill in those kind of details. Right. So since 2009, when all this started, um, so SoCalHiker.net, how many, how many different hikes have you chronicled on your, on your website? How many? How oh, that, many... Now, that's not fair. I that's don't know fair? the answer to that. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> We have hundreds. I don't know what the total number is. Yeah. And uh, there's a common, you know, some of them are as simple as little day hikes that are family and pet friendly little things. Uh, one of the ones, one of the trails that I used to do um, when I was living in San Clemente in Orange County. Mm-hmm. We would where, do where are you based, where are you based night. right now? What's that? Where, where are you based right now? I'm, I'm based in Bend, Oregon right now. Be- okay. All right. Very okay. good. Okay. So, so I was in San Clemente. I was in San Clemente, and uh, every Wednesday night, I, I actually led a hike through a meetup group down there um, that went up Patriot Hill, where there's a flag and a, on a pole, and it was about a 4.6 mile lollipop loop that we would do, and then we'd go out for fish tacos afterwards. So it was kind of a fun social thing, and we'd have anywhere from five to 25 people, depending on the night. But it was one that you had to do kind of during daylight savings time of summer, you know, the summer months when there's a little more light. Mm-hmm. And then in the winter, we would switch and we would just do the San Clemente Beach Trail, which is about four and a half miles. And you start at North Beach and you go out, you know, two and a quarter miles, you turn around, you come back. And it's pretty flat. You know, there's about maybe 50 feet of vertical total. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you can do some stairs if you want to, you know, run up a set of flight of stairs along the bluff. There's, I think, six sets of stairs and so we do that but super simple you know like a really good beginner like I haven't hiked before and I want to get into it or my kids or my dog or whatever is not into it that's a great one to just kind of like all right well let's see you know how do you handle four and a half miles let's start with that Mm -hmm. and then okay you do great on that no problem you know let's add some vertical gain you know maybe you do the Patriot Hill you know trail where you've got about 1200 1300 feet of vertical um how do you do on that you know and then you start building up right now how what is the uh you obviously have done wonderland trail in washington you've Mm -hmm. done uh a lot in in california what was what is the the width the breadth of your hiking experience anything outside of the west coast let's see um i've done well everything's been pretty much west of the mississippi Okay. Um, so I've done a fair amount of hiking in Colorado, in Arizona, in Utah, in Wyoming. Wow. Okay. Um, Oregon, mm-hmm. Washington. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think even on the, there is even a one hike in Texas on our site, uh, up in Chan- the Enchanted Rock, which is like a big, uh, granite batholith that's out in Mount, you know, Hill Country in Texas. Okay. But um, yeah, that's been our focus is sort of the Western United States. Um, I'm not opposed to doing other places. Right. And we have hiked in other places. I have hiked in other places. Uh, There was a time we, my wife and I spent a year living in Seoul, Korea. And so I actually wrote up some trail guides. They're not on SoCal Hiker, though. They're they're on a website for South Korea. But they have a huge hiking so, culture over there. South, South Korea, hiker.net? 
Yeah. <laughs> I got lots of jokes about that from my friends, you know, because I was still running SoCalHiker.net and I was still like even today I have a backlog of trails and things that I have hiked that I have yet to write up. You know, and it's I've got the photos and I've got the GPS data and I've got the trail notes and et cetera. It's just a matter of, you know, I all I need is time. All yeah. I need is time. Just not enough hours in the day. Not enough hours in the day. That's yeah. right. All right. I'm gonna put you on the spot uh here. What give me your top five trails. If someone came up to you and said, Hey, Jeff, I, I wanna do uh five trails. I only have time for five trails. You know, what, what five should I work towards? Hmm. I'll tell you a few, uh, let's see five. Okay. And I, mm-hmm. I, and in no particular order, so not okay. necessarily an order of preference, but I'll tell you one of my favorite places and one of the places that I've taken a lot of people for their first backpacking trip is Mount San Jacinto. Um, down near kind of either you can either take a an aerial tram up from palm springs right which makes it really nice Uh, in fact my daughter when she was less than a year old that was her first backpack backpacking trip she was still in diapers she was probably in the backpack she was in it she was in a backpack (laughs) my wife carried her in a backpack and i carried everything else you know Uh like all the sleeping bags and food and everything and um uh, that was her first experience backpacking, but we took the tram up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, another option that I really like is just hiking in from um, Humber Park and going up Devil's Slide. And it's really scenic. You get great views of Talkwitz Peak and Suicide Rock. And then as you, you hike on, along the Pacific Crest Trail, as you head towards Wellman's Divide, and then, you know, there's lots of places once you get past there to camp and, of course, the peak itself. So, whether you want to do a day, long day hike or whether you want to go backpacking, that's one of my favorite places. It reminds me the most um, of all the places in Southern California. It reminds me the most of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Okay. Um, so that's one. That's one. Okay. <laughs> Another one that I really like, and I think that it's really underrated is uh Sertivant falls out of Chantry flats. Yep, I enjoy um, that one. That's at the a base good one. of Mount Wilson, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, it's a really pretty area. And the first time I hiked that, well, and, and I'll say say that with a caveat. It depends on the time of year. Um, we're recording this in August. This is not the time I would want to hike that because it's just hot and it's it's buggy. Mm-hmm. September, January, February, that's beautiful. And um, the first time I hiked it was in a early December years ago and you know the the trees were all turning colors and though the there were creeks with running water and little cabins you know from going back to the 1920s and 30s and it was sort of like a magical place that i didn't have any idea existed so close to downtown los angeles really i mean it's like 30 minutes away it's not that far yeah, it it was a magical place. It is a magical place. What what can you tell us about those little cabins? Because I was just absolutely mystified by you, know, you hike in three or four miles, and all of a sudden you're you're surrounded by these little cabins. It feels like you're in the Shire from The Hobbit. It kind of is like that, yeah. And uh, you have to hike back to them. So these are these are leased uh, on uh, Forest Service land. So 
you know, these people have long-term leases. Um, and then there's rules about, like, they can't be permanent residences, I think is one of the rules. So they have to be part-time. And then you also, there's like rules about the improvements. Like you can't make an addition to them. They're basically fixed in the footprint that they have. And you can't change the, the, the color on the outside or the materials on the outside. Yeah, they're you all can pretty fix it. Yeah. but it has to match mm-hmm. on the inside. You can do anything you want, you know, but I guess, but um, there's limits to what is available because there's not, you know, you don't have a, you don't have a, a way to drive back there. What they do is they'll, if you have a lot of stuff, I guess you can use the mule train from the Adams pack station and uh, you know, have stuff carried back there. But uh, otherwise you're, that's about it. And and can you rent those out from those people, or is that that's not allowed? I thought. I that I don't that I don't know. I don't think that they can do like an Airbnb kind of a right. thing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you but if you know if you know somebody you're friends with them you know that's awesome. Yeah. And every once in a while one of them will come up for sale and they're not incredibly expensive, you know, uh, in terms of Southern California real estate prices. But because of those all of those limitations, you know, it really is sort of restrictive you can't like you can't just live there i couldn't buy one and live there and just kind of write my trail guides from one of those cabins as much as i would love to you know i didn't know that they came up for sale i'm gonna have to put this on my zillow watch list Hmm. absolutely um yeah in fact i we've even i've even fantasized about maybe going in with a bunch of friends you know and like i can't maybe right. swing it myself but maybe you know we get you know 10 friends and we all share it we, we all get, you know, a little timeshare basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great idea. Okay. So, uh, Chantry flat, Sturvant falls. Um, so that's, that's, that's two. two. Okay. <laughs> um, another one that I, I like kind of for the, a similar reason is ice house Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, this is up near uh, Mount Baldy and it's super popular, but it's popular for a really good reason. I mean, it's really pretty. You have a year-round stream running right down the middle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just hike for the stream. You know, you know, you're just going, you know, up through the woods. There again, there's a few of those cabins, kind of like in Sturdivant. That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and it, it's just a really pretty little area. I really enjoy the the water, the running water. I love the the trees that are in there. Um the thing that you have to be aware of is that it is super, super popular. So it's not a place that I would go to on a weekend if I can avoid it. You know, I would go on a weekday if, if at all, um, just because of that. Yeah. And you go through Ice, Ice House Canyon. It's near Baldy, but you go through it on the way up to Cucamonga Peak, right? You do. Yeah. You can you yeah. go through Ice House Canyon. That's one of the most popular ways to get to Cucamonga right. Peak, Ontario Peak, Bighorn Peak, okay. mm-hmm. uh, Timber you know, the three T's kind of are up that way. That's right. Number three would be the Lost Coast Trail in Northern California. Before. Sorry. You're on four. (laughs) Well, okay. I'm good at writing trail guides, not so good at math. (laughs) Uh, Number four would be the Lost Coast Trail in Northern California. This is up near Humboldt and uh, super beautiful area of the coast where the the uh the highway the coast highway uh the coastline is so rugged that the highway actually veers 30 miles inland so it's 
you know, and there are a few little Jeep trails that get to the coastline, but it's not something that you can just drive to. And right. so it's, um, there's two segments. The one that I'm referring to is the Northern section. It's the, it's usually what people refer to when they talk about the Lost Coast Trail. Uh, we do have a trail guide for that on SoCalHiker.net. And um, it's basically a 28 mile trip. So you can do it over three or four days. And it sounds like a walk on the beach, which should be easy. It's way harder than it sounds on paper. Really? It's way harder. There's, you know, there's, well, first of all, you have uh, the, you have to know the tide charts for the time that you're going, because there are three sections that are impassable at high tide because the water comes right up to the base of the cliff and you can get seriously in trouble if you get stuck there and people die there periodically oh. there's people who get swept out to sea and all kinds of things so they have wow. warnings about that mm -hmm. you have to know the tide charts and then you know you've got a four mile segment and okay the tide's going out and you can start now but you got to get to the other side within a certain period of time before the tide starts coming in and you get stuck so there's, timing is going to be key yeah um hiking on sand is incredibly hard you know, with a pack, especially. Mm -hmm. uh, when we were training for that, we actually took our backpacks down to Santa Monica Beach, of all places, and uh -huh. walked on the beach with our backpacks and got and a lot of funny looks. That's what I was going to ask. I bet they're looking at you pretty funny. It, well, you know, they're like, are these people homeless? Or are they what? <laughs> <laughs> um, not far off, you know, I mean, uh -huh. backpacking. So uh, what but, kind of shoes, what kind of shoes did you wear to, to make that hike on the beach? Well, I, when we did that, I was wearing a pair of uh, Keen boots. Um, they were not waterproof, but um, sort of breathable Keen boots. Mm -hmm. um, they were pretty much shot at the end from the salt water. So the salt water and the leather, it didn't do well. Um, I would mix. probably just okay. use trail runners, breathable trail yeah. runners on something like that in, in the, today. Yeah. Um, is it problematic to get sand in the shoes? I, I've, I've, well, you're not. I've, so, so you're rocking in the sand part of the time. You're walking uh -huh. on bowling ball size, you know, boulders that are right. round part mm -hmm. of the time. If you're lucky, you get up onto actual dirt. You know, like there's a few sections they call them flats. Uh -huh. There's Spanish flat, for example. And okay. You, you hike along and you're like, oh, here's a little section. It's, it's like a little bluff and you hike up there and there's a trail across it. And you feel like you just hit turbo on your car because it just, it's so easy hiking on that mm -hmm. compared to everything else that you're hiking on. It's, it's really kind of tough, but it's really remote. It's really beautiful. It's really, you know, you have pine forest coming right down to the sand. You'll see bear tracks in the sand. You'll uh, camp, you know, just, there's waterfalls coming down there. It's just amazing. So bear canister, bear canister required. Bear canisters are required there. Okay. And you can, if you don't own one, the ranger station will rent you one. I think it was, if it's not free, it's pretty low cost. I think it was five bucks or something like that, but we had ours. Okay. Now not to be indelicate, but I'm sure this is on your trail guide uh, somewhere. Uh, how do you how do you exercise leave no trace in that environment? You're on the beach, you're near the water. How does how does uh, that work? Uh, so you're asking how do I poop? Yeah, there you go. Yes, yes. Let's yeah. get right down to it. Let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, that was one of the things that really surprised me. It really surprised me because the actual official, uh, you know, language from the agency there is that you you go out as far as you can towards the water and you drop trowel and do your business right in the water. That's that, what I thought I had seen somewhere and I couldn't it, believe that, that that could possibly be the case. Yeah, yeah. It's really kind of, it, I was like, what? And for two reasons, you know, one, it seems kind of gross, you know. Uh-huh. Um, their theory or the, the science behind it is that the, you know, the salt water and the action of the ocean and everything else, and the fact that there's not, you know, there's a limit to how many people can do this trail. So it's not going to be completely overwhelmed. It's not like Yosemite Valley, Valley or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so the, the volume of people who might be doing that isn't going to be enough to create a health risk or health problem. Um, but then there's also sort of the, the privacy issue. And I was just going to say uh, that there's no tree to hide behind there. There's nothing to hide behind at all, you know, (laughs) but, uh, we saw, I think the first time we saw a couple, we saw one couple hiking out on our first day hiking in. And on the second day, I don't think we saw anybody. And then on the third day we saw, you know, three or four or five people, you know, and, and then the last day, when we were hiking out, we started to see more and more people as we got closer to Shelter Cove. So mm-hmm. um, it wasn't super highly traveled. I know that today um, they do have a, a permit quota on it. So before it was a self-issue permit at the trailhead when we did it. Uh, but now there is a trailhead quota just to kind of limit, you know, how many people are on the trail. So you have to right. go through the, the ranger station. Right. We could probably spend an, an entire episode on the Lost Coast Trail because I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I would love to do it. And I've got a ton of questions, but we're going we're gonna to move on to number five. What, what else do you have? So that was number four. Yeah. Uh, number five. Hmm, number five. You know, I would probably say, gosh, um, it's tough to pick, you know, it's like picking your favorite children or whatever, you know, there's not really a good answer there. They're all, they all have some, uh, you know, a place in your heart. Um, gosh, I really liked the John Muir trail. You know, I, 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 I know that's not like a day hike by any means. No, and, and I, I didn't qualify. Really enjoyed... I, didn't, I didn't say that it had to be day hikes. I, I was hoping no, you, would, that's you, true. Would include, so, you would include I, the, the granddaddy on here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, on the John freaking Muir show, what better trail than the John Muir trail? I know that it's popular. I know that it's, everybody wants to hike it. I know that you can't, you know, it's like winning a permit is, you know, like better than winning the lottery, you know, but uh, it's that magical. It's really a beautiful section of the, of the Sierra Nevada. Uh, People I've talked to who through hiked the Pacific Crest Trail will say, that's really the most beautiful section of the Pacific Crest Trail. I know probably there's somebody else who'll say, no, that's not true. But um, a lot of people believe that that's really the, the highlight. And, um, and having through hiked it twice, uh, and I'll do it again, you know, given the chance. I'm not going to be plans in the near future, but uh-huh. I will absolutely through hike that again. You know, it's such a beautiful trail. Yeah. Um, and, it was, you know, doing it 30 years apart also was kind of fun because 
I was able to, like, I recognized all the places, you know, it's like, I remember this. It's, it's really written in my memory. Uh And I would come to these, you know, these viewpoints and I'd be like, you know, I was, I was uh, hiking with my girlfriend and he's, who's now my wife. And um, so it was really wonderful to be able to share that with her and, you know, like show her these experiences and these places. And um, yeah, it's, it's a life, it's a transformative sort of experience, the John Muir Trail. It was for me. Yep. Absolutely. Now, hey, I, I feel bad because I corrected you on your counting and I know it's tough to limit uh, to limit to five. So I'm going to give you a bonus one. You can throw in an extra one. If you do one more, what would it be? One more trail? Yep. Okay. Um, you know, I like, I'm going to share a, uh, a segment of trail from Little Harbor to two harbors on the cattle on Catalina Island, that particular segment of trail, especially if you can hit it in spring when the hills are green and the wildflowers are blooming, that is just stunning. And uh, it's a, it's a really beautiful area. Uh, the the trans Catalina trail itself is really pretty, but that particular segment is on the, uh, the south coast of the island and it doesn't you know it's the part that's away from the mainland so you don't really see it there's not really any cities along it you know Avalon and two harbors are kind of more on the other side and um, it's just super pretty you know it's spectacular um, I remember when we hiked that the first time we were just kind of stunned. You know, I was taking pictures every time I turned around because I couldn't believe it. You know, I had to capture what I could. Yep. I would agree with that too. I, I'm very familiar with that because we just got off of that last month, the end of la- uh, end of June. Mm. We, we did that, uh, the, the whole Trans Catalina Trail and from Little Harbor to Two Harbors was spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. If the weather is cooperative. Yes. You never know. I mean, that's always the, you know, that always can be sort of the factor. When we did the uh, the Wonderland Trail last year, um, we're in the Pacific Northwest where there's a lot of rain and there's, uh, you know, it's unpredictable what mm-hmm. the weather's going to be like. And sure enough, we had, you know, several days where it was just dreary and wet and rainy and gray and you couldn't see Mount Rainier, which is what you're hiking on. Right. And, you know, uh, you, we got to this one particular camp uh, called Dix Creek, and it's on the on a bluff. There's only two campsites at this camp. They're on a bluff. It's overlooking a glacier, with the mountain on the other side of the glacier, and we couldn't see the glacier. Oh man! And we we're right there, and we couldn't see it because it was just foggy, rainy, gross, mm-hmm. you know. But then we had absolutely amazing days with just you know beautiful clouds and blue sky and. Uh, you know, wildflowers, you know, galore. It was, and it really was a wonderland mm-hmm. on that trail. So it, it, you know, the weather is a part of it for sure. And it can, it can make or break uh, your experience on a particular, any particular day. But um, as a whole, that's kind of what you sign up for when you go hiking. You never know what you're going to get. That's right. You have to be prepared for it. That's right. Okay, hey, we're going to go to a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Jeff about the six-pack of Peaks Challenge and how that evolved and and what exactly are the six-pack of Peaks. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
I'm Chris Brindley Jr., a multidisciplined adventure athlete and storyteller. When I'm not hanging out on the side of mountains, I'm stoked to be listening to the John Freaking Mirpod. And welcome back. Before we get on to the six pack of peaks challenge, Jeff, I want to I want to just take a second. I know you've mentioned your kids a couple of times and taken them out into uh, into the wild, doing some camping, some backpacking. And I, I've had the chance to do some backpacking with my son, and it's just been fantastic. Although he didn't get it right away, it, it took a couple of times for him to truly appreciate, you know, what we got out of this, you know. 100 mile 100 mile hike basically and so i wanted i wanted to ask you if you had a similar experience did your kids did they get it right off the bat did they appreciate it was this something you had to drag them along to tell me about that yeah well it's every kid is different so even though you know you kind of raise them the same or so you think i have three kids i have a, a, my oldest is a is a girl mm-hmm. my daughter uh and then two boys they're all adults they're all in their 30s now i mean mm-hmm. they've you know moved on but um when they were teenagers my sons would love to go backpacking so they were all over it you know and they were like yeah let's go you know and and uh we'd go every year you know at least once a year you know up into this year is and do some kind of a backpacking trip up there uh, my daughter would go day hiking and like we even went one year for a vacation you know we went up to mammoth and we did some mountain biking and we went through Yosemite and, you know, did some hiking in there. And, and she was like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> you know, she was more interested in staying in a hotel and, you know, music and dance and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it was not like really her thing at that point. And that's fine. You know, it's mm-hmm. like every kid, every child is going to have things that they love and, sure. and, uh, and things and a time for the things that they love. Right. So my boys were into it when they were teenagers. My daughter, not so much. Uh, she's come around since then. So uh, she, her husband now, they actually got engaged on a glacier down in, on the backpacking the W down in Chile. Yes. Yeah. So, I was talking to uh, Steel Carter a couple of weeks ago about that, about that trail. Yeah, so they they were backpacking the W, and uh-huh. he got down on his knees on uh, one of the glaciers there, and proposed. And uh, so they've they're into it, you know. They're into exploring, backpacking, hiking, camping, all of that. Nice. Is she doing more backpacking now than your two sons are right now? Yeah. Well, it all is sort of you know they're at a point in their life. Like my uh, youngest son is an officer in the Navy. You know, he doesn't get much chance. Right. for backpacking and his time is really not his own mm-hmm. uh my other son is an it you know networking guy working for a contractor that works for the department of defense and so again his time is not so much his right. own um but i suspect that you know like my my uh my middle son who's in st louis right now he um, he's done a number of the six pack of peaks with me, you know, in different places around, you know, mm-hmm. in Oregon in Southern California, other places, wherever I happen to be when he visits, we end up trying to bag a peak somewhere. Okay. Nice. That's a great tradition. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. 
which brings us back to the six pack of peaks challenge. So I, it, I was, I became familiar with it a few years ago and I have to confess, I have not knocked out all six in Southern California yet. I'm still uh, waiting on San Jacinto and San Bernardino. Hmm. But uh, I thought at that time that the six pack of peaks actually just referred to Southern California. But I, I went on to find out that you have, you have these, this six pack challenge all over the place. It exists in multiple states. That's right. Yeah. I actually, so we, I tried to do an episode on the six pack of peaks and I, I know I didn't do it justice. It was, I didn't have a co-host or anything. It was just me talking about my experiences and what I knew about the, the remaining two that I did not do. Um, so uh, I feel like I shortchanged the listeners, but uh, now I have the creator on, on the pod. So I'm, I'm making up for, for lost time here. Tell me about uh, the six pack of peaks, how that all got started and how it's, it's spread. Yeah, so I kind of alluded to this when I was talking about training for the John Muir Trail back in 2010. Right. And that's when I came up with the concept of the Six Pack of Peaks. So I was I was leading hikes through a meetup group down in Orange County. And I knew that my girlfriend and I, we needed to do some longer hikes on the weekends and that sort of thing. And so I basically put together a spreadsheet and I said, all right, what are, what are some, you know, I want to make it interesting. I don't want to do the same hike every week. You know, a lot of people do, uh, for example, Mount Baldy when they're training for a hike because it's, there's no permit requirement and, you know, it's close and all of that. I wanted to have variety and I wanted to make it more interesting. And so I, I came up with six peaks, uh, starting with Mount Wilson, going to Cucamonga, uh, Mount Baldy, Mount San Antonio. Um, San Bernardino Peak, which is lesser known or was, uh, San Jacinto and San Gorgonia, which is the tallest peak in mm-hmm. Southern California. And the idea was that every, uh, for six consecutive weeks, we would, we would tackle one of those longer, more strenuous hikes. And we, each one was a little bit higher in vertical elevation. So we would, um, we'd know how our body responded when we got up above 10,000 feet or 11,000 feet and um, you know, how it would feel to log 18 miles in a day, you know, that kind of thing. And so it worked really well for us. Um, You know, that served us quite well. And, and so I wrote it up that way on SoCal hiker and I had a number of friends who said, Oh, that's really cool. That's a great idea. You know, me and my buddy were training for Mount Whitney. You know, I think we're going to do the six pack, you know, just to, because I think that's a great way to train and it's Mm -hmm. interesting and you get to see different places and all of that. And so they started doing that. And then I thought um, actually in, in 2015 um, I thought this is a great concept to, you know, encourage people to get outside of their comfort zone and maybe go someplace different and see something that they haven't seen and try something they haven't tried and to set a big goal and to try to reach that goal. And um, it, whether they're training to do the John Muir Trail or training to hike uh, Mount Whitney or just doing this for the love of hiking and, and being on top of the mountain and seeing, you know, what most of the population down in the valleys below never see. Um, it's a great experience. And I'd love to share that and encourage other people to experience that. Uh, that, that summer, uh, my wife and I drove up to Salt Lake City for the OR show, the Outdoor Retailer Show, which okay. has since moved on from there. And of course, this year it was 
I think it was held online or it is being held online or something like that. So whole different world today. But um, at the Outdoor Retailer Show, I met up with a group of people from um, a nonprofit called Big City Mountaineers. And I really appreciated their mission because what they do is they work with youth agencies at a local level in different cities uh, around the country. And they provide the gear and the expert, the guide expertise and the mountaineering ex backpacking or canoeing or whatever the excursion is about expertise to, um, to those agencies so that these kids can have what oftentimes is their very first wilderness experience. You know, these are kids in Oakland, California or Seattle or in Denver or in, you know, Minneapolis or, you know, different places where they live in the city and they, they may not have had, you know, parents who took them camping or went backpacking or anything like that. And so they get a chance to do that. And it is, um, if you get a chance to look at bigcitymountaineers.org, they have a lot of testimonials from people who've been through the program and, and how it's really changed their lives and their perception of who they are mm -hmm. and what they are capable of which is a big part of, you know, like the six pack of peaks challenge. You know, you think, you know, looking up at the mountains as you drive along the freeway and you think, wow, those are so high. How could any, I know I can't climb up there. You know, that's impossible. And yet it is possible. And it's just a matter of getting out there and setting up the goal and then, you know, doing the work to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how it got started. 2015 was the first year of an official challenge. And uh, since that time, we've raised over $40,000 for big city mountaineers. Uh, nice. We've also put together a team, um, a SoCal hiker team for another nonprofit called the Heroes Project, which does an annual hike up Mount Baldy called The Climb for Heroes. And uh, unfortunately they had to cancel it this year due to the pandemic, but we'll be back next year, you know, hopefully. Right. And nice. uh, we've raised over $20,000 for them through, you know, basically just getting people together and, and raising donations and making that happen. Um, so this year, 2020, this is our sixth year of the challenge in Southern California. And it's uh, a few years ago, we started spreading to other locations around. And part of that was um, opportunity for me because, you know, we were, I mentioned that we lived in Seoul, Korea for a year. One of the things I thought of is like, Colorado is a great place to do this kind of a challenge idea. So I took a trip to Colorado and scoped out, you know, I, I had done it on paper, but I wanted to do it myself just to see how realistic it would be for me to hike these six peaks. I did six peaks in six days wow. in Colorado. <laughs> wow. I was, I was spent at the end. My legs were dead, <laughs> but, um, but wow, what a great place to, you know, to explore and what a great way to do that. And it made me think about, you know, this is an opportunity not only for people who live in Denver or that region, but for people who want to experience Colorado and experience those mountains, here's a, here's a route that you can take. It was basically a large uh, driving loop with six peaks along it that got a little bit higher. 
And you can have a taste of Colorado in a big way in a week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I'm the proof that that's possible because if I could do it, you know, in my fifties, you know, uh, you can do it too. You know, why yeah. not? And once again, you, you didn't just pick things off of, uh, off of the, off of Google maps, uh, and say, Hey, this is, this is the six pack. Go, go try it. You, you tried it yourself. You made sure it was feasible. You had a route for it. I mean, very thorough, very well thought out. Impressive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so since that, since that time we've expanded, we have a NorCal challenge, um, which I was living in Berkeley for a year. So I was able to kind of scout out those peaks and, and make sure that, you know, that was a challenge. Um, we have a central Oregon challenge again, I'm living in Bend, Oregon right now. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of the hub for that. Um, that's probably one of the smaller ones only because the population is smaller. Most of them are, are near a larger metropolitan area. Um, we, this year was the first year for our Pacific Northwest challenge, sort of based out of Seattle. Uh, we have two challenges in Arizona, uh, a winter and a summer challenge. People say to me, uh, hiking in the summer in Arizona, are you kidding me? But um, they have, you know, Humphreys Peak is above 12,000 you know, feet, which is higher than San Gorgonio. And so, you know, you, you get up around Flagstaff in that area and there's peaks that are, you know, high enough up that it's, it's much, much, much cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a New England challenge that uh, covers kind of a broad area, you know, that, that requires a little more driving and a little more planning to kind of make that happen. But we tried to identify, you know, high points in different states and sort of, you know, really interesting um, spots along those in, in, the, in the, the New England area. And then we've got some other challenges that are sort of in the, the pipeline that haven't happened yet that we're working towards. So uh, we're looking to spread it around. Fantastic. And as, as we're sitting here talking tonight, I, you're wearing a, a six pack of peaks challenge hat. So if people are interested in some gear, if they want hats, if they want shirts, what, what kind of gear do you offer and how do they get it? Yeah. So, um, we offer, we have t-shirts, we have hats, we have, you know, sort of the, the ball cap, we have bucket caps, we have visors, we have mugs and, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, we have performance tees as well as regular cotton tees, uh, which are which I kind of recommend for after the hike. You know, like when you get back to the the car, you can take off the sweaty thing and put on a nice clean cotton t-shirt. Um, but uh, they can find all of those in our shop at socialhiker.net. Socialhiker.net. Okay, throwing you a curve. So not so Cal hiker. But social hiker. So it's one extra as, letter. As we were expanding, originally the Six Pack of Peaks challenge actually ran off of SoCalHiker.net, and then as we were started starting starting to expand to different regions around the country, we thought this is probably a, you know a good time to think about a different domain for that. And so we went. We came up with Social Hiker. It's sort of generic, mm-hmm. and it also reflects the social nature of hiking. I think it is a very social activity doesn't have to be i love you know solo hikes as well but oftentimes you know it's 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 a great joy to share a hike or share a trail and an an experience with other people so uh, social hiker it is now for the six pack of peaks challenge and uh, so cow hiker 
for the trail guides, even though we cover places like Colorado and Utah and Oregon and Washington mm -hmm. and different and you, spots besides Southern California. And you maintain both those websites. I do. Yeah. In your spare time. <laughs> when I'm not on the trail or listening to the John Freak and Muir podcast. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Thanks for the plug. Hey, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot again. Uh, think, think of the six pack of peaks challenge in Southern California. Hmm. I want you to rank the six peaks in terms of uh, least favorite to most favorite for you personally. Okay. So, so first I have to, I have to make a caveat because there are now 18 peaks in the six pack of peaks challenge that's right you have California. added more. so you've added some variety we, we've we've put it we've made 18 peaks six of them in san diego um the original six are still there and then there are six alternates that we had you know that kind of span different places right. and they all have sort of a unique feature about them but so, of the six original peaks the original ones yes the original ones the my least favorite to the most favorite is that the that's correct yes that's what i'm ranking yep gosh and you don't have to do a whole lot of explanation maybe just a sentence or two as to why okay. that why that ranks that way okay um i will say gosh that's another that's it's a little tough because they all have something that i that i love or they wouldn't be in the challenge sure um i would say um well mount wilson i don't like to do in the heat and if you do it past March, there's lots of gnats and bugs. And so, you know, if you can do it in, in the winter, awesome, but the rest of the time, eh, you know, it's, it's not in my favorite. Yeah, I would agree with that. As much as I enjoy the Sturdivant camp uh, section of that, of that trail, and, uh, there is a section on Mount Wilson. I don't care what anybody says. It kicks my butt every time. It feels like I'm going straight up for two miles and I, I'm just dead after I jelly legged. It's, it, it's brutal. I, I, can I share a little story about that? Please do. Yeah. So um, I mentioned that I was leading hikes through meetup and I had kind of a rule. First of all, I try to keep the, the group size small, you know, either, you know, even smaller than what the permit limit was. So I try to have like 10 people as the max, you know, when, even though the permit might say up to 12, uh, just because I don't want to be responsible for more than that. And I don't want to create a lot of, you know, disruption on the trail. And um, I was, I had scheduled a hike up Mount Wilson. And uh, one of the, one of the rules was I had to have hiked with you pr previously. So I knew kind of like what you were made of and you know, that you had the right stuff and that you, this was within your ability. Well, there was a young guy who was going to Cal State Fullerton. I don't recall his name, so I won't embarrass him on your pod, but um, he, he talked me into letting him join us, even though I had not hiked with him before. And he told me, yeah, you know, I play volleyball all the time at school and I'm getting, me and my three, two friends were training for a backpacking trip in Glacier National Park this summer. And I thought that the six pack would be great. And I want to do them all with you and, you know, all this. And I'm like, all right, well, we're doing Mount Wilson and uh, you can join us. I figure, you know, a young college kid, you know, physically active, he'll be no, he'll have no problem. He almost didn't make it up the mountain. And, uh, you know, he got to that section where you're going, you're kind of like winding on switchbacks through Manzanita and it's hot and his legs were cramping and he could take like one or two steps and you have to stop and then take one or two steps and you have to stop. And I, 
I stayed back with him and I just talked him through it. I was like, he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I guess I wasn't right. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm saying, Hey, don't worry about it. You know? And I told him stories of, you know, when I had had similar situations and, mm-hmm. and we got up there and we got up to the uh, observatories up there and he sat down and ate a little lunch and sat for about half an hour and just, you know, rested and going down, of course, you're using totally different muscles and he was completely fine going mm-hmm. down. But um, yeah, that's a tough one. It's a yeah. tough one and it can surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm convinced that, that stretch um, where you're going up, going up those switchbacks, that that is steeper than any stretch I've encountered on Baldy, Cucamonga, or even San Gorgonio. For some reason, that's, that stretch just does me in. It is, it is brutal. So the next one, next least favorite would be San Gorgonio. I mean, okay. I love being on the highest mountain. I think it's awesome, but it's not, it's like a, it's not like a rugged mountaintop. It's like a rounded pile of rocks, you know, and mm-hmm. um, the views are okay. It's got a lot of exposure. I'm always really tired for that last mile or so, you know, I'm, the, the altitude's hitting me. It's okay, but you know. Yeah, that's, Devil's no, Backbone doesn't. Devil's Backbone doesn't make it stand out for you. Uh, no, Devil's Backbone on on uh, Mount Baldy. I like that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, yeah, you, you, so say you say Gorgonio. You say Gorgonio. Yeah, got that, it. That's right. So that's the next right. step would probably be would probably be Baldy. Okay. Yeah. So I like Baldy a lot. I like Devil's Backbone. I like the mm-hmm. views. I think it's pretty awesome. Um, that last, if you're, if you're going from devil's backbone up to the summit, you know, past Harwood, that final climb from the saddle is a bear and, oh gosh, yeah, you know, I'll be feeling good, you know, and kind of cranking along. And then I hit that and I'm like, it humbles you. Yeah, it you does. Know? Yep. Um, then I would put Cucamonga peak. I, I just love ice house Canyon. I love the sort of the view over all of the Inland Empire from up there is really pretty. I've been up there backpacking and seen the sunset and the sunrise, and that's a really spectacular place to see those things. Mm-hmm. Um, San Bernardino would be one of my favorites. Really? Because okay. I love the, I mean, the, the peak itself is, you know, blah, it's okay. Not much of a peak. It's kind of like San Gorgonio in that way. And then there's mm-hmm. trees around it and that sort of thing. But uh, I love the scenery as you go up and you kind of go through different sections as you climb. And um, it's, it's really lovely in that way. And then I think my favorite is San Jacinto. I like the uh, sort of the alpine meadows and the forest that you go through. And I love the little stone hut as you, you know, when, once you see that stone hut, you know that you're not far from the, the summit and you get to do a little, you know, boulder scramble to the top and, that makes it kind of a little more adventurous. And when you're up there, yeah, you feel like you're on a mountain for sure. You know, it drops off in all directions pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So that would be my favorite. Okay. There you go. Well, you, you have inspired me because your top two, uh, San Bernardino and San Jacinto, are the two that I haven't done yet. So now I'm go. inspired yeah. to, to, you know, put in the effort and, and make the time and get those two done. Absolutely. Okay. Hey, we're going to go to another break here real quick. When we come back, I want to talk to Jeff about uh, maybe some favorite spots on the John Muir Trail. And then I also want to talk to you about the Theodore Solomon's Trail. I, mm. think, you have a, I think you have a story on, on that particular trail. So. Oh, yeah. 
All right, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jeff Hester from SoCalHiker.net. And when I'm not out backpacking in the mountains or hiking, day hiking out in the Cascades, I'm listening to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. And welcome back. Got Jeff Hester with us tonight, and we're talking about covered a lot of ground actually we we've uh talked about uh, socalhiker.net we talked about the six pack of peaks i'd like to go back and touch on a little more on the john muir trail you've done it twice uh 30 years apart and just want to hear from you about uh, if you have a favorite uh camping spot or a favorite section of the john muir trail what what really stands out what do you look back with fond memories on uh, on that trip those trips mm-hmm. Well, um, a couple of things kind of stand out. One is that uh, the, the most recent trip that I took, I had my girlfriend with me. So she's hiking it with me. This is our first long backpacking trip. And I'm, I'm leading this group. There's four of us in this group, uh, two young college guys, and then us who are like, at the time, I think we were 48, 49, something like that. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so I felt a little bit of pressure. And uh, the second day, we were going from, uh, well, the first day, we hiked up to Little Yosemite Valley. That was it. We had, like, the dream itinerary. So we started at Happy Isles, which is the official place, which is hard to get permits for. We got them. Mm-hmm. And we started at Happy Isles. We went to Little Yosemite Valley, which is a pretty short trip. We dropped our packs and set up our tents. And then we, we, um, we day hiked up to Half Dome. So we summited Half Dome, and that was a great experience. You know, hiked back down to Little Yosemite Valley. The next day, we're going to, um, I think, Sunrise Lakes or something. Somewhere around there, Sunrise Meadow. And I got lost. I took my girlfriend up to Cloud's Rest. We took a turn where we, you know, we went left where we should have gone right across a creek. And uh, we, you know, we're going up and up and she's like, we're looking at the map and we're like, oh, I think, you know, the creek is probably up ahead a little bit to the right, you know? And uh, she's like, I don't know, that doesn't sound right to me. And I am <laughs> insisting that we're going the right direction. And we keep on climbing, climbing. And at this point, you know, it's like 45 minutes of climbing and you're like, well, I don't want to be wrong because I don't want to go all the way down and think that was for nothing. <laughs> and so, you know, finally I'm like, you know, this is not the right way. And here's where we are. And we're headed up towards Cloud's Rest. And what we can do instead is we can hit Cloud's Rest. We can come back through Sunrise Lakes, which we weren't going to go by, and then kind of loop back over to the meadow and, and then back on the JMT proper. And she's like, mm, you know, I knew it. <laughs> and, uh, but we got to see, we got to summit clouds rest and so that was a pretty awesome experience and it just was you know kind of it made up for it a little bit but yeah. i'll never hear the end of that no she'll never let me forget that i'm never gonna I, live I that down jeff on the second day mm-hmm. of the john muir trail um i think one of my favorite campsites along there was in tully hole which is notorious for mosquitoes um and we had met somebody a ranger at 
I think it was Virginia Lake and he was checking permits and he caught somebody without a bear canister and all of that good stuff. But, you know, we were sitting there chatting with him and having a snack or whatever. And he, he says, um, you know, where are you headed and all that. And we mentioned that we're headed, we were actually going to go a little bit further than Tully Hall. And he says, Hey, I, I have a secret campsite for you. When you get down, go all the way down Tully Hall, cross the Creek. And then you have to kind of scramble up, you know, there you'll see there's like a, a granite uh, rise there and there's not really a trail, but you can kind of see where people have kind of scrambled up and you can sit up on the, on the, on that rise up on the rock. It's all granite. So you can't, you have to either cowboy camp or have a freestanding tent. Um, and there's a, you're high enough up that there's a breeze that keeps theoretically keeps most of the mosquitoes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was really, really nice because it felt like a very, you know, unique place that not a lot of people had been. And it was, it was just nice to be up there and kind of yeah. quiet. Rangers, Rangers really, they, they know the, uh, the inside scoop on the, the secret camping spots and, you know, the best places to go. We had a similar experience when we did Mineral King Loop. It was uh, myself and Jukebox and Chopper. And Chopper earned his name on that trip. He actually got choppered out because of altitude sickness. But as we were hanging out with the Ranger, waiting for Chopper to get uh, loaded onto the helicopter, we asked him, you know, you know, where should we camp tonight? And he he told us about a secret spot on these granite bluffs above Big Five Lakes, and it was it was epic. It was it was nice. So that little insider information from the Rangers that's key. Talk to the Rangers. They are your friends, you know, you mm-hmm. just, you know, don't be a jerk, be nice and friendly because they deal with problems all day long and they love it when you don't have a problem and you're just happy to see them and you're doing all the right things and they'll, they'll gladly share, you know, some insider information. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other favorite uh, spots on the trail on the JMT? Well, well, let's see on the JMT. I think one of the things that we really enjoyed was um, taking a zero day at VBR. So we, the year that we did this, uh, the, the, um, they ran a, um, a ferry from one end of Lake Thomas Edison to the, where the resort is on the far, uh, the far western end of the lake. And uh, we had a zero day there. It was just pretty, pretty nice. My, my girlfriend, that was kind of our halfway point. And my girlfriend was kind of thinking, that this might be her last bailout point, you know, mm-hmm. because she was, she was hurting her uh, coming down from silver pass her. Uh, she, she had blisters on her feet and, you know, she was just feeling kind of miserable. And we got down to VBR. We, well, first of all, you get on the, on the ferry and go across the lake and your feet, you're off your feet. You're sitting on a, on a seat actually, instead of on a rock. <laughs> what a concept. And, uh, you know, you've got the, the splash from the the lake coming up from the boat and, you know, a breeze coming in in your face and you get over to VBR and they, they give you a free beer as you come in. And we sit, sat down and we ordered dinner and we had a steak and we had a piece of pie and we're talking with all of the other through hikers and they're all sharing about, Oh, Oh, you have blisters. You think that's a blister? Let me show you what a real blister is, you know, and they're all sharing their war stories and how they're, they've got aches and pains and blisters and everything else. And she was like, Oh, this is just kind of, you know, part of it, you know, and she right. didn't feel so bad after that. She's like, you know what? 
I'm, I'm good. I can finish this trail. And she did. Nice. nice. So zero days can be magical. For sure. All right. Hey, what, what is your, uh, what is your kit like? What, what is your gear for the John Muir trail? Are you a, are you a tent guy? Do you bring a tarp? Uh, are you ultralight? Do you just go cowboy camping? Tell us about uh, what you're bringing on the JMT. Good question. Um, the first time I did the JMT in 1980, I cowboy camped 23 out of 25 nights on the trail. And we woke up sometimes with frost on the outside of our, our uh, sleeping bags, but we just cowboy camped. It was just, it was beautiful. It was comfortable. I think there were only two nights when we slept in a tent and one of them, it was because of rain. And the other one was because of mosquitoes. And so, you know, I have no aversion to cowboy camping. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the most recent time I did this, uh, we used a tent, a two-person tent. Okay. And it was just, you know, it was comfortable and snug and a little more private Mm -hmm. uh, because there were two college kids with us as well. So uh, it was kind of nice to have a a tent. Um, Nowadays, when I when I travel, I'm not really ultralight. I'm, and I'm not really heavyweight. I'm sort of, I'm tending towards more, you know, lighter and lighter as I go. Um, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not ultralight. And so I still like my go-to tent right now is a, a, a big Agnes copper spur. And I just, it's a very easy, it's a great design. It's uh, very comfortable. I can sit up in it comfortably. It's got the side doors, which is super handy to get in and out of. And um, yeah, people uh, people really me. people really like that tent. I've heard a lot of uh, high praise for for that tent. Yeah. Now, at some point, I'll I'll probably look at getting something that's lighter weight. You know, maybe a single wall. You know, something or other. Not maybe not a tarp. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I'll probably replace my pack first. You know, get something you know ultra light. What, what, what is your pack right now? Right now I have a, an arsenal of packs, depending on the, depending on the length of trips. Uh, most of the packs are an Osprey. Um, so I have an Atmos uh, 65 and anti, anti-gravity, which is total oversell. It total, you totally feel the gravity when you load that pack. <laughs> Misnomer. <laughs> yes. Uh, if it, if only if it was anti-gravity, that would be awesome. Um, and then I have an Exos that's nice for shorter trips. And it, that is sort of like, you know, their version of a more lightweight type pack. Um, I really have my eyes on getting something from, uh, Hyperlite Mountaineering that those look really nice. And one of my buddies has a whole setup with the, the pack and the little pods that go inside and, I was pretty impressed by that. So I'll probably do, that'll be one of the next things that I look at getting into. All right. Very good. All right. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about a, uh, the lesser known uh, sister trail, would we call it, of the, the John Muir Trail. The, although it's, it's named Theodore Solomon's Trail, so maybe it's the brother trail. Uh, lesser known brother trail of the JMT, the Theodore Solomon's Trail. Uh, this is not as highly traveled as the John Muir Trail. It's a little more um, less defined, shall we say? Absolutely, yeah. It's okay. much more of an adventure as okay. well. So the, the John Muir Trail is something that you can tackle without a ton of 
backpacking experience? I, I mean, you still need to have the, you know, the gear know-how and, you know, being able to be in the wilderness and be self-sufficient and, you know, some basic navigation, but it's a highway in the mountains. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a footpath that is very well-traveled. You know, as you're hiking on that, if you stop for a break and wait 30 minutes, somebody's going to come wandering along and you'll, they'll pass by. The Theodore Solomon's Trail is the opposite of that. It's in sections of, it's a route that used existing trails. And some of those trails have not seen maintenance in over a decade or, or longer. And so it, it really felt like, and it, you know, the JMT is an experience. The Theodore Solomon's Trail was truly an adventure. I felt like a, a truly felt like an adventurer hiking the, the Theodore Solomon's Trail. And we, I did it in sections, mm-hmm. but uh, still really, a, really a very much more wild, much more demanding for navigation and just kind of route finding and, and, and making it through than the John Muir Trail. Right. So it's, it's uh, I think you said 240 to 270 miles, depending on which variation you, you take. Yeah, there's, uh, there were a couple of guidebooks that were written in the 80s. So uh, the, the, the route was conceived by one of the guidebook authors, Dennis Gagnon, back in 1974. And in 19, about 10 years later, he actually published a guidebook you know, for it. According to that guidebook, it was about 273 miles long. Um, starting at Glacier Point in Yosemite, if you're going southbound, and then mm-hmm. ending at Horseshoe Meadow in uh, south of, of Mount Whitney. And um, uh, it travels through Yosemite National Park. It travels through uh, several national forests. It travels through Kings Canyon and Sequoia National Parks. And, um, and, and also crosses the Kern River and you know comes out on the east side so it's got a lot of logistics to actually make it happen and um and and i'm hopeful that we can help raise awareness for the theodore solomon's trail and get a little more interest in it and hopefully that will lead to more trail work and maintenance and support and that eventually this will become a really viable alternative to something like the john muir trail and help alleviate some of the pressure that's been put on that. Mm-hmm. And you said you section hiked it. How many, how many uh, different sections did you break it up into? We broke it up into five sections and um, we had no specific plan to complete it in one year, but we did. So we did all five sections. We started in May and we finished the last one in November. Okay. And so that tells you something right there because those dates on the John Muir Trail mean you're, you're, you're doing winter mountaineering. You're doing snow travel. Mm-hmm. But um, the Theodore Solomon's Trail, some of the sections are lower at, ele- you know, at lower elevations. It's you know, in the tree line a lot of the time. Um, some sections like the one through to Hepity Valley is down at like 4,000 feet which is quite low compared mm-hmm. to the John Muir Trail. You know, a lot of it's at or around 10,000 feet. And so that made it possible for us to still be hiking, you know, in November. We were lucky because they had had, there had been snowfall on that section the week before, but um, it wasn't too heavy or too thick for us to pass through. Now, at any point on the Theodore Solomon's Trail, did you wonder 
what have I gotten myself into here? Any any uh, questionable segments? Oh yeah, there's there were two parts, two sections where I thought that might be the end of it for me, the end of the road, and I thought, well, you know, I've had a pretty good life, you know, it's I've <laughs> had a good run. Oh no, I'm doing what I love, you know. If I were to disappear <laughs> out here, you know, I, I, there's worse than ways to go, maybe, but it didn't happen, fortunately. Um, those two sections. The first one was uh, a section between uh, the San Joaquin, I forget which fork of the San Joaquin River and uh, Rattlesnake. And um, that section had so many downed trees and the trail had just disappeared. We, we had researched and traced based on old Forest Service maps where the trail should be and had that loaded on our GPS. We had the GPS data for that. Mm-hmm. So we knew where it used to be, theoretically, the trail. And then we had to look for blazes or tree cuts or other um, clues. It was like a detective hike. You know, you had to look for clues to where the trail might be. And, um, and s- there, was, there were some places along there where literally hundreds and hundreds of downed trees Ugh. as far as you can see. And you're just climbing on top of and over these downed trees. And you're thinking, you know, this, first of all, it's slow going. It's a slog. Yeah. But secondly, it's like, you know, I hope I can make it out of here. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> um, you know, good news. You know, we made it out. And uh-huh. uh, that was okay. The the second spot that was kind of like on, that before was, you, Hang um, on, hang on, Jeff. Before you get to the oh, second sure. spot. Um, so going over these down trees, I mean, what was a, a decent mileage day in, that, in those kind of conditions? I, that's a really, you know, we had long days. I mean, so we were only doing like 10, 12 mile days. I don't think we uh-huh. were doing really long days. The longest day that I had on that, on the Theodore Solomon's Trail was 20 miles. And that was at the end, you know, as we're coming out over Cottonwood Pass, uh, we had a 20 mile day that we, we started at um, uh, the Kern River and climbed all the way up to 10,000 feet. And so that was a huge vertical game day and it was 20 miles and it was a long day. You know, I get to camp right as, you know, at dusk and ate my dinner and, and just slept and then got up early the next day, went over the pass down to the car, drove into the town and had breakfast, you know, by nine o'clock we were on the road back home. So, um, most of the days there were like 10, 12 miles somewhere Mm -hmm. around there. Tough going. A lot of bushwhacking. Uh, in some in some places, some bushwhacking. Yeah. yeah, the Tappity Valley was one of those places. So at that particular time, there hadn't been any trail maintenance done in a long, long time through Tappity Valley, and um, so we we're you know you're you're trying to stay on the trail, and there's there's a few people, there's a handful of people who go through there in a year, and so. <laughs> You know, you're you're lucky that you can kind of follow some things, and then animals, you know, bears and deer and that sort of thing, will also kind of use that same mm-hmm. path. Um, but there were places where it just kind of disappeared, and you're, you know, trying to find your way and, you know, kind of making your way through it, and then crossing the middle fork of the Kings. Um, years ago, I think it was in the '90s. There used to be a bridge across that uh, across that river. Um, right at Simpson Meadow, 
And okay. um, that bridge was washed out and never replaced. Well, the, the Middle Fork of the Kings can be pretty gnarly. And uh, we were hiking in a low snow year and it was still gnarly. I, mm-hmm. I spent about 45 minutes to an hour just trying to scout the the safest possible place to cross. Cause at that particular point I was hiking by myself. So I didn't have somebody else to, you know, like hold a branch and pull me in or whatever. And um, so I had visions of being washed downstream and, you know, I was even, I was at the point where I was thinking, well, you know, maybe I can MacGyver a solution. I can take some, you know, down logs and I can strap my backpack to that. And then I can swim in the water and push the log and, but it's oh moving, you know, the water is moving fast and it can, might sweep us downstream into the rapids. And I, you know, all these scenarios are playing out and like, and how do I get to my, my Garmin and, you know, call for help if I need it. And I probably won't. And that'll be the end of me. Um, needless to say, didn't happen, made it. But uh, that is still, that still to this day remains a gnarly spot. And there's been a number of people who've tried to through hike the trail that have had to turn around when they got to the middle fork of the Kings because of the water. It was just not safe to cross. Wow. So is the, the Theodore Solomon's trail guide up on the, on SoCalHiker.net? Not yet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I have sort of an overview of the trail um, and I have a ton of material for it because I've, you know, I've just got at one point, I was, ter- I was trying to document um, all of the water sources, you know, some useful information for mm-hmm. people hiking this, but also all the down trees, which would be useful for people maintaining the trails. And so I was taking a photograph with the, with the information geotagged of every down tree. I gave that up on some segments because it was just, I, it was too many. There were hundreds and hundreds. Sounds like an impossible task. It was an impossible task. It was just like this section from here for the next, you know, five miles, it's trees, you know, just mm-hmm. fix it. All right. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of information I have on it. I'm, I'm collecting that. I, uh, that's been sort of on my, one of those trips that's been on my back burner to, uh, to do a more in-depth documentation of, and I, I will get to it. I, I am going to have to go back and do some more hiking on it too, because some of that has had some trail work since, thankfully. And we'll be in better shape. And I think that should be reflected. All right. Very good. Last thoughts on Theodore Solomon's trail? Well, I'll just say a little plug for Theodore Solomon's himself. Okay. Um, Theodore Solomon's is the person who designed the John Muir Trail. And very few people know that. They think the John Muir Trail was created by John Muir. But no, it was created in honor of John Muir by uh, the route was designed by Theodore Solomons. And in fact, when you go to uh, Muir Pass and there's the Muir hut there, the stone mm-hmm. hut that's really, you know, sort of famous, mm-hmm. uh, the, the mountain just to the west of that is Solomon's Mountain. So that's named after Theodore Solomons as well. So this trail was, was named after Theodore Solomons to kind of honor his work on the John Muir Trail with uh, a similar kind of trail. Um, I, I really look forward to going back and doing some more explorations on that. Um, there is a Facebook group for the Theodore Solomon's trail and, you know, that's a good resource right now for people who are looking for beta on that trail and want to connect with folks who, who know more about it. 
Well, we've definitely have to have you back on the pod here after you've done a little more uh, hiking on the Theodore Solomon's trail and hear, hear the update. Yeah. I look forward to, I, I really want to see a bridge over the middle fork of the Kings and I want to see an official designation for the trail, you know, to, to really give, make it a, a viable alternative to something like the JMT. Nice. All right. Hey, Jeff, you know where we are? We're at that time of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip insight of the week. What do you have for us? All right. Well, pro tip, I, I thought about this. Um, my pro tip has to do with setting goals. And I shared a, a talk a couple of years ago at um, something called the Switchback Showcase. And there was a quote that I shared that kind of set, set the tone for that by Greg Reed. And it goes like this, a dream written down becomes a goal. A goal broken down into steps becomes a plan. A plan backed by action makes your dreams come true. Now you can get ridiculous with that, you know, say, well, my dream is to fly or whatever. But the reality is, is that oftentimes we think about hiking the John Muir Trail or, you know, uh, climbing the six pack of peaks and they're just dreams. And so one of the exercises that we've done with our uh, challengers at the six pack of peaks at our finishers party each year is we've asked them to write down their adventure goals for the, the, the next year, because that's the first step to making that dream a reality is to write it down and make it real. And then Take that, that goal that you've written down and break it up and, and create a plan for that. When we were working to do the John Muir Trail, the six training for the Six Pack of Peaks, uh, or hiking the Six Pack of Peaks, became part of our training to help us get to and make the John Muir Trail through hike a reality. That was our dream. It helped make it a reality. And so... Um, that's my pro tip is to think about, you know, first of all, set some big goals for yourself, uh, write them down, create a plan and break it into pieces so that you can make it a reality. Excellent pro tip. I, I totally agree. Once you publish something, once you get it down on paper, you speak it out into the universe. Uh, it, it's a little bit more real and things start happening. So yep. excellent, excellent pro tip. Thank you. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 28 is in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Jeff. And I want to thank him for joining us this week. Jeff, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media? And uh, where can they find updates on your latest adventures besides SoCalHiker.net and SocialHiker.net? Great. Well, I'm on Instagram at TheSoCalHiker. Mm -hmm. And also on Twitter at TheSoCalHiker. And uh, of course, you can find me at SoCalHiker.net. That's probably the, the best place to kind of keep up with my adventures when they eventually get published. Fantastic. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at JohnFreakinMuir at gmail.com. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. That is a wrap from the John Freaking Your Studio. Any final thoughts, Jeff? Uh, keep on adventuring, and I'll see you on the trail. 
All right. Thank you for tuning in. And always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't care if it disappears completely on the Theodore Solomon's trail. Oh, it the trail is the trail. <laughs> Embrace the suck. Miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.